The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth and recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank all of you that are listening with us today. We're glad that you're joining us, and we also invite your participation in our program. We hope that you'll call in and have a question or a comment for our guest, or you can also email in. And we are grateful that you visit our Uh, site on Facebook. There's always a new discussion thread about the week's topic, and so we welcome your comments on that. So do visit us on Facebook. Thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community and your unity community know about Spirit of Recovery. It's wonderful to be broadcasting about the topic of recovery here on unity.fm, Unity Online Radio. And um, thanks for spreading the word. We're uh, just excited to know that people are Uh, listening and that that audience is spreading and that uh, we thank you for that, for getting the word out. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community and we have guests that are down to earth, that are knowledgeable and innovative. People that are in recovery themselves or people who work with or write for recovering people and sometimes um, all three of those. We We bring you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. The spirit of recovery is a welcoming place, and so if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, or if you're a family member in your own recovery as a family member, or a family member or friend of somebody that has the disease of addiction, uh, whether or not they're in recovery, and you're looking for more information, uh, or if you're simply somebody that wants to learn about the recovery process, the spirit of recovery welcomes you, and we welcome your participation in our discussions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity minister and an addictions counselor. I'm also a person who has in my circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. Thirty years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and recovery and spiritual development. Ever since then, my walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles, and that walk keeps richly transforming my life and keeps me growing in ever deeper ways. 
So I am very grateful and delighted to have the opportunity to share ideas about recovery and spirituality with you and to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and recovery. On every show, we do have a drawing and give away a recovery book that's donated to us by the nonprofit Hazelden Foundation, and that's www.hazelden.org. And we want to thank Hazelden for donating the books to us. Today's book is called Dying to be Free, a Healing Guide for Families After Suicide, and it's by Beverly Cobain and Jean Larch. And so if you're interested in that book, please call in or send us an email, and we'd be happy to put your name in the drawing for that book. Um, And be assured that we keep your information uh, confidential. The number that you can call in uh, is 888-558-6489. Or the same number is 888-55-UNITY, or you can email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. And we do get those emails during the program. So we'd love to hear from you to put your name in for drawing for the book, um, also for a comment or a question for our guest today. Today our topic is Gifts from the Dark, and our guest is Douglas Block. Douglas uh, Block is... M.A. is an author, a teacher, a counselor. He writes and speaks on the topics of psychology, healing, and spirituality. He's a former radio talk show host and a popular public speaker. And Douglas has given hundreds of lectures and workshops to businesses, schools, church groups, recovery centers, and national psychology conferences. He's the author of 10 books, including Listening to Your Inner Voice, Discover the Truth Within You, and also and, and Let That Truth Guide Your Way. His books books give us inspiration and practical tools that help people to attain serenity and maintain emotional well-being. Douglas's uh, website is healingfromdepression.com if you're interested in learning more about Douglas. So, Douglas, thank you so much for joining us today on Spirit of Recovery. We appreciate you being here, and I know you've got a lot of uh, good information and experience to share with us. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Anna. Um, you have Thanks for fa- having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Again, really, really glad that you're here. And I, I know you uh, really walk your talk and and uh, have done a lot of thinking about your own personal experience and do a lot of outreach and a lot of do a lot of things that help other people. You have a fascinating uh, phrase on uh, in your writing, and you said that you have created a daily survival plan for living in hell. What does that mean? Well, that referred to um, an experience I had in the uh, winter of 1996-97 when I was going through uh, what is called a major depressive episode, a dark night of the soul. In addiction, we say it's hitting bottom. I had a a very bad uh, depressive illness that was uh, called treatment-resistant, traditional medications, uh, antidepressants, anti-anxiety pills didn't work. And every day I would wake up, um, you know, it's like the movie Groundhog Day, you know, the same day over and over again. First thing that would happen is when I opened my eyes, I'd feel this tremendous sense of agitation coming through me, uh, like I had been fed 18 cups of espresso. I couldn't control it. I would get up, start pacing back and forth. I felt like it was jumping out of my skin. My mind started to race with thoughts like, I can't go on like this, you know, the only way to you know, get out uh, of this is suicide. Interesting, you mentioned Beverly Cobain. She's the cousin of uh, Kurt Cobain from Nirvana who committed suicide. She wrote a wonderful book that I used to teach from 
called When Nothing Matters Anymore, A Survival Guide for Teens with Depression. That's one of the things I've uh, addressed in my own ministry of all the young people dealing with, with this disorder. So anyway, I was in this situation, and I ended up uh, actually being hospitalized in a, in a, at that point, the only dual diagnosis center in the Pacific Northwest. It was called Pacific Gateway Hospital. Tell us what a dual diagnosis center means. Oh, it's for people who have addictions and psychiatric disorders. Now, although I didn't have an addiction, um, a chemical dependency issue, my psychiatrist happened to have uh, his practice out of that hospital. So that was uh, how I first got exposed to recovery uh, with other with other patients who were suffering like myself, but also had, uh, besides a mental health disorder, they also had an addiction to deal with. Anyway, it, during that uh, program, I was assigned a therapist who um, unfortunately is in her dying process right now, but she was a major mentor to me. She was a drug and alcohol counselor and uh, also was a therapist and was also in her own uh, recovery. And what she said to me when I was talking about my feelings of suicide, she says, well, you know, in recovery we say, we'll never, we don't say we'll never drink again. We just say we won't drink for the next 24 hours. So you don't have to say I'll never kill myself, you know, ever, or, you know, I'll never harm myself, but let's just think for the next 24 hours, what can you do to keep yourself safe and to keep yourself alive? Because it was really that type of a 24-hour day at a time. So we created what I say in my book, Healing from Depression, is the Daily Survival Guide for Living in Hell. And what that meant was a series of coping strategies that I could use that when the pain got so much that I didn't think I could bear it, something I could do, such as getting on the phone and calling a friend. That always seemed to calm me down. Or going outside and quickly jogging around the block and getting some, you know, getting some exercise and, and some endorphins and distracting myself. Or saying the phrase, this too shall pass. And so I start to divide these things into five different categories, um, physical, mental, emotional, uh, social connection support, spiritual uh, connection, and lifestyle habits. I start to divide these, this daily survival plan into five different areas and start to try to practice something from each area each day. And just, you know, I, I didn't think about cure. I didn't think about, you know, recovery. I just thought about survival, and what happened was, by practicing that one day at a time, I was able to still stay alive until a, a miracle happened at a Unity Church, which I write about in the book, uh, which we might talk about during this conversation, where I actually was, you know, set free from this this horrible dark night and 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 you know went into remission from my symptoms. So I later took this daily survival plan for living in hell and adopted it into a 12-week uh, healing from depression recovery program, which I taught at a lot of Unity churches and then wrote a book about it and then put it, all the information up on my website. So that was the genesis of my ministry was um, Jack uh, Boland, who was a great mentor of mine, who if you've been in Unity, I'm sure you have heard his name. He used to run the church of today in, in, uh, in Michigan. He was a recovering alcoholic, a, really a very spiritual man. He said to me once that there was never... A miracle that first didn't start out as a problem. So when you have your problems, bless them, because today's problems can be tomorrow's miracles. That's a a powerful statement. And what are some of the gifts that you've gotten from your dark night of the soul and from from really working through it? Well, I I think, again, about another influence of mine, uh, Bill Wilson, who, who only, you know, was able only developed AA, which you know Scott Peck called the greatest you know 
social movement of the 20th century. He did that in, in, in response to his own woundedness. In other words, he he had to he had to figure out a way for him to survive. And once he did that, he was able to share it with others. That's the archetype called the wounded healer. And that's essentially what happened to me. I never would have gotten into this work had I not first had to, you know, go through it myself. And we see that in many, many people who do healing work and, and, and you know, all sorts of levels. It, it starts out as something they have to overcome. So that was the first gift was that it, it, in overcovering this myself, it gave me you know, tools to help not only myself but other people. It also taught me things like uh, patience, compassion, non um, not, not being as judgmental when I used to see someone who had a problem I might say, well, what's wrong with them? You know, why are they taking such a long time to get, you know, get better? And then, of course, I just have to remember my, you know, 18-month ordeal when I felt completely helpless to change. And, you know, I see it's very easy to get stuck and not always easy to change. So compassion for other people suffering, um, certainly an understanding of uh, the healing process. And, 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 and also it reaffirmed my faith. Uh, as I wrote about in my first uh, book, Words That Heal, you know, what goes down must come up, I wrote about. You have to be careful what you write about because then you're going to have to go through it to prove it. But I do, did say in that, uh, in that book that every, uh, you know, every hell is followed by heaven. And, and uh, that great line from Lawrence Vanderpost, who is a great uh, intellectual and uh, Jungian analyst who was in the uh, prison of war camp in World War II, he said, uh, the depth of darkness to which you can descend and still live is an exact measure of the heights to which you can aspire to reach. You know, the deeper you go down, the higher you go up. So, you know, these are intellectual truths that sound good, but when you've gone through them, then they take on a whole new meaning. Right. You know, we live in a culture that I think we live in a lot of conflicting ideas, or, or maybe we can look at them as paradoxes, but it seems like a lot of times in our culture we don't want to deal with the difficult things. We just hope it will go away. We can paste over it. Um, what yeah, do you well, that's, encounter that's when you – yeah, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, another one of my mentors who I might have mentioned, M. Scott Peck, uh, said we live in a pain-avoiding, you know, death-denying culture. And, you know, he said that uh, the people who go into psychotherapy are actually have more courage than other people because, uh, you know, they're actually willing to face their problems. And, you know, all your neurosis is, is the avoidance of legitimate suffering. So what I think about what you said is that I think it's uh, unfortunate this culture doesn't encourage people to, uh, you know, um, tackle their problems head on and, 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 and deal with pain instead of having, I mean, look at the, I mean, you're in the recovery movement. I, I never would have believed that the, the major problem with drug addiction would be prescription drugs. Yeah, that's I mean, the hot topic these days. I mean, I mean, I mean, a friend yeah. of mine who I mentioned in my book, uh, Teresa Keene, who's a, a very, very fantastic um, pain specialist here in Portland, Oregon, you know, she and other people have gone together and, and to create some sort of a task advisory board so they can track people who are, you know, getting these prescriptions because um, so many people, you know, abuse them. And, and you know, and I, I actually have some relatives on my wife's side who have gotten very involved in OxyContin, which is, you know, just synthetic heroin. And and I had a surgery a while ago. Um, and I was given Percocet, which is, I guess, another um, you know painkiller, another derivative of opium, another opiate. And I remember one of my friends in my therapy group said, "Oh, you have Percocet, man! I would kill for that. Oh my God, you must give me some." And I said, "No way!" And I said, "God, what's the fuss about?" You know. So I, I did have a hernia. I was in discomfort, so I tried it out, and it kind of made me stupid and loopy. And I thought, "God, I, you know, 
who needs this? I want to have my mind alive and sharp and aware, and I want to. I don't want to dull my awareness. I don't want to numb out. You know, I want. I want to be aware, and, and you know, and so I can participate in life. Well, the fact that so many people are choosing this, you know, method of avoiding pain, and, and, and they consider this to be preferable, is I think we haven't really. Uh, I wouldn't say trained our children, but you know, uh, given the right message uh, that you know, pain is 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 you know God's way of saying that you know something needs to be paid attention to and, and adjusted, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's always a message in pain, and and it can be a very valuable message. I mean, people who don't have pain receptors in their hands will put their hands, you know, get into all sorts of injuries, and that's a that's a serious medical condition. Medical condition when you can't feel the sensation of pain, you get an accident and bruise your limbs. Sometimes you have to have amputations. I mean, it's. It's it's not a good thing to numb out and not feel pain. Just the opposite. So yeah, I think that uh, in our culture, too many people are trying to avoid pain, and and this whole thing with prescription drugs is just one symptom of that. Right. Um, yeah. It's a, it's it is uh, amazing to see that. In you know, of course, I get different news bits and even just what you read in the regular newspaper, you'll see a lot of that. That that is the big concern now is the prescription drugs. And that, um, and that young people are, are and I, that's been going on for a while, but uh, writing the medicine cabinets. And um, what's the message that you would give to young people? Well, you know, I think that um, in Bev Cobain's book, When Nothing Matters Anymore, you know, my, my specialty is working with young people who have anxiety and depression, you know, painful states, which, of course, in many cases, that's what leads people to use drugs and alcohol. I was running a group with all of the members were uh, somewhere between 19 and 29, and they all had various and sundry drug abuse issues, everything from, you know, too much marijuana to uh, methamphetamine to, you know, acid to cocaine. I mean, everything you can think of, people had their drug of choice to self-medicate. So the message was, you know, go ahead and if you get the anxiety and depression treated, if you, through a combination of medication in some cases and certainly counseling and therapy and, and dealing with the issues that are make you, you know, causing you to be fearful or sad or worried or uh, despairing, and you address those, you know, you can start to feel better and you don't have to try to, you know... Uh, Dull yourself or escape or you know do something destructive. So, there, I mean, and, and also the other thing okay. that she Douglas, it's, it's time for our break right now. So, apologize for okay. cutting in on you, but hold that sure. thought. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll start with the Serenity Minute, and then we'll be back talking with my guest Douglas Block about gifts from the dark. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You are listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. To support this ministry, go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Your contribution helps us broadcast messages of love and inspiration throughout the world. Many people, like myself, desire more out of life. I want more out of my work my daily interactions and my relationships, including my connection with the divine. 
So when I found Unity House's new book by the Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard called Good Questions, a lot of things started making sense. Dear Tom, how can I believe in the integrity of God if I can't believe in my own integrity? From K.A. in Iowa. Dear K.A., God's goodness is independent of your highs and lows, but lighten up on yourself, my friend. Everybody has gloomy spells in their moral and spiritual life. Everyone makes mistakes. Self-doubt is endemic to the species Homo sapiens. People tend to doubt themselves and to be their own worst critics. All people fall short of their goals. In fact, that's one of the classic definitions of sin. But making mistakes, even really, really bad ones, does not define who you are. You are Imago Dei, the spiritual image and likeness of God. The divine spirit within is your true identity, now and forever. Dr. Tom's an expert in metaphysical Christianity who is sometimes passionate, sometimes funny, but always ready to tackle the agonizing questions about life and our spiritual path. His book, Good Questions, Answering Letters from the Edge of Doubt, is a must-read for those of us who listen to his show here on Unity FM or read his column in Unity Magazine. Get your copy today online at unity.org and click on the shop link. Sometimes people tell me they've been studying spiritual principles for years, and I've got one question for them. How's your life working? How do you apply principle in every decision every day? Hi, this is Reverend Ellen Debenport, and that's what Laura Shepard and I talk about every week on Absolute Living here on Unity Online Radio. How do we consciously create our experiences in life? What are we attracting, and how can we change it? How do we live at the highest levels of consciousness? On Absolute Living, we talk about how spiritual laws can be used in health, relationships, work, family, prosperity, even parenting. We look at current events for evidence of the laws in action. And we admit our own fears and failures. Laura and I don't live in higher consciousness all the time. But join us on Absolute Living. It's live on Mondays at 1 p.m. Central or in the archives anytime. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're really glad that you're with us today, and if you're just joining us, our topic is Gifts from the Dark, and my guest is Douglas Block. Douglas uh, Block, M.A., is an author, a teacher, and a counselor who writes and speaks on the topics of psychology, healing, and spirituality. He has, uh, he's been a former radio talk host, talk show host, and uh, he's a pop- popular public speaker. He's given hundreds of lectures to a variety of groups, and he is the author of 10 books, including Listening to Your Inner Voice, Discover the Truth Within You, and Let It Guide Your Way. And Douglas's website is healingfromdepression.com. Douglas is speaking with us about his program of recovery from depression. And uh, he's giving us lots of great information and really uh, talking. He's somebody that's walked this walk and does walk it and is giving us great information. But before Douglas and I continue our conversation, please join me as we take a moment to center ourselves in the Serenity Minute. So let's take a moment to relax and 
to focus on this constructive idea. Let's take a moment to let ourselves be refreshed by that spirit that lives within us and all around us. So I invite you to uh, open your mind, to open your heart, and join me in this constructive idea. Love reaches out and touches my heart. I accept love's healing care. Love reaches out and touches my heart. I accept love's healing care. Thank you all for joining me in the Serenity Minute. I hope that that was refreshing for you and that you tuned into that healing love that's a part of every one of us. We're back now with my guest, Douglas Block, and he's uh, speaking with us about gifts from the dark, and he's talking with us about the issue of depression and um, how people can recover from depression and how uh, they can uh, live, live a life that is fulfilling. Douglas has written 10 books, many of them dealing with this topic and other recovery topics. This is a great time to give us a call or send us an email. You can make a comment um, or have a question for Douglas. He'd be glad to entertain those. And our phone number is 888-558-6489. Our email address is spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. And we do get those emails during the show. Also, if you call us or email us, know that we keep your information confidential. And uh, we'll also we'll put you in the drawing for the giveaway book today, given uh, donated by Hazelden Foundation. And the book for today is Dying to be Free, A Healing Guide for Families After a Suicide by Beverly Cobain and Jean Larch. So, Douglas, um, again, thank you for being here with us today. And before the break, you were telling us about the work that you have done with teenagers and uh, letting them know that if they face the pain, then uh, that they can... Uh, really have a fulfilling life. They don't have to numb out. Right. And not just teenagers. I mean, I have had a lot of, uh, a certain amount of referrals from Hazelden. We have, you know, we have a facility here, recovery facility in Newburgh, Oregon. It used to be called Springbrook. I mentioned it in the book, Healing from Depression. Actually, I was, I was um, noting that a lot of people from the hospital where I was were coming from and going to Springbrook. And since I was in a lot of pain and um, needed, you know, some sort of a container, uh, and I heard that you could stand, stay there for 90 days, and I heard that insurance covered it, um, I thought, wow, you know, some place to go and heal. Um, so everything was going fine on the interview over the phone until I, they learned that I didn't have a uh, chemical dependency diagnosis. Right. So Springbrook, which has now become Hazelwood, was a recovery center, so if you had an addiction and you were depressed or you had an addiction and you were anxious, you know, or you had an addiction and you had PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, you could go there and stay as long as you needed to get better. But if all you had was depression or anxiety or PTSD, there was no place to go. This is, you know, why I started running these groups for people because I realized that there's many more structures in the community for people with chemical dependency or addiction issues than there are with people with psychiatric issues. It's, it's ironic because oftentimes the psychiatric issues are what lead people to the you know, chemical recovery addiction problems. But I've had you know, people coming to me from Hazelden after they've been discharged. And it's, you know, it's the same thing as with young people. People, when they're in pain, 
You know, it's, it's built into our DNA to seek pleasure and avoid pain. And when you're in pain, you want to find a way to get out. Now, uh, you know, there are two ways to do that. The quick fix, which gives you temporary relief, but, you know, either doesn't work in the long run or makes things worse. And then there's the more slow way, which gets to the root of the problem, which, you know, is not as fun, but ultimately has a much better payoff and is, you know, obviously is the more effective way to go. So that message about facing pain and not avoiding it is for everyone, not just for young people. Right. And unfortunately, you know, there are there are all these different tools now available. I mean, there's something that just came out, not just, it's been out for a while, but it's become much more popular called Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, DBT. Mm-hmm. You've ever, ever heard of that uh, yes. phrase or that therapy? Yes. Yeah, it's it's used a lot in addiction treatment now. It was originally started for people with borderline personality disorder, people who had uncontrollable emotions, and uh, it's basically a combination of mindfulness, you know, um, meditation from Buddhism or from the East, and and some very good cognitive behavioral tools. And it's a wonderful, wonderful technology, applicable to many kinds of pain and suffering. And uh, you know, this is something that uh, Marsha Linehan at the University of, of Washington gave to us as her gift. Uh, to help her recover, recover from her disorder. There was a big profile of her in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago. And so, you know, this was not around in the 1960s and 70s when I was first dealing with depression. There's, you know, um, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. So there are all these spiritually-based psychotherapies now, and there's traditional psychotherapy, and, you know, medications are not for everyone, but there's a bunch of them. And so there are so many avenues for treatment right now, and, uh, you know, so many more possibilities of, of, of getting well that we didn't have 10, 20, 30, 40, certainly 50 or 100 years ago. So if, if there's a willingness, I mean, see, that's why in my book I talk about three things that are necessary and have always been necessary for everybody recovering from mental health issues and addiction. One is setting the intention to heal. Two is reaching out for support. And three is treating your symptoms using a combination of mutually supportive therapies. So I say that intention plus support plus tools equals mental health recovery or addictions recovery. But the setting the intention to heal is key. And and, and AA, they call it willingness. Because until you make the decision, you know, Jack Boland said, life responds to a made-up mind. Until you make the decision that you want to get well and you want that more than anything else and you're committed to doing whatever it takes, even though you don't know how, even though you don't know how you're going to get there, once you make the decision that you want to heal and you commit to it inwardly, uh, all sorts of doors open up and you are receptive inwardly and outwardly to the healing process. They say in AA, the only thing that is required for a person to come to AA meetings is the desire to stop drinking. So the only thing that's required to come to my meetings is the desire to feel better and to get better and to, and to you know, be open to practicing some of these tools. And any, everybody who has done that whether they've just come from the hospital, whether they've been severely suicidal or just mildly depressed, it doesn't matter, you know, how much pain they've been in. Once they make that decision to get well, then everything else flows from that. It's like it's definitely, I'd say, 80% of the game right there is the decision to get well or the decision to be better, and the 20% is what falls. Would you say you've noticed that in your own experience with family members or people you've seen go through the recovery process or something of that nature? Absolutely, yes, because it is that it's as you said, it's that willingness. It's um, 
somehow I, I believe it's a combination of, of uh, when people have had enough pain and when they have uh, – so they don't want to hurt anymore and and when they have enough hope to believe things can be better. I believe that, that whatever that sweet spot is is what creates right. the willingness to go forward. They believe yeah, that something I better is possible. Said- yeah, I, I, when I was showing up at these meetings at the Living Enrichment Center where where people um, had organized a group to help me out because this is another thing I learned from my experience. I'm glad you asked that question about the power of the group, something, again, that Bill Wilson and Bob Smith discovered in 1935 when they got together that evening in Akron, Ohio, and, and it managed to stay sober, you know, with each other's help and company, um, you know, uh, when uh, when I went to uh, you know that group of the Living Enrichment Center, uh, and that's I a, had no was a, new, was a New Thought Ministry. That was a New Thought Ministry here in mm-hmm. uh, south of Oregon, uh, south of Portland. Mary Manna Morrissey was the minister back then, mm-hmm. and uh, I got into this group, and everybody in the group said Douglas. There were, there were twelve people and myself, and um, including friends and, and and family and a social worker and a Mary and some other ministers, and they all said. We see you, we hold for you, we believe for you that you can and will get better. And I said, no, I can't. Because one of the things, and this may be true in addiction too, but it's certainly true in severe depression, is uh, you become hopeless. And that, more than pain, is the, is the trigger for suicidal thinking and potential suicide actions, uh, the loss of hope. So I made a decision I wanted to get well, and I didn't even have the belief that I could do it. I just knew I wanted it. And the power of the group, the beauty of the group, is that other people could hold the hope for me when I couldn't hold it for myself. This is why, you know, going to AA meetings, you know, can be so helpful for people in recovery or any 12-step meeting because um, I had no hope and no belief that I could get better, but other people did. And somehow that compensated for my own lack of belief. And as a unit, you know... It was like majority rule, right? Like a jury, right? Eleven to one, right? In favor of, of survival. So the fact I had the only no vote on the jury was was not important because there were these eleven, or in this case, twelve other people, who said yes, we believe in you, and we believe in the healing process. Now, uh, I've seen it happen so many times when people have come into my groups where they come in completely demoralized, and I say, don't worry, just show up. You know, Woody Allen said, "What is it? Eighty percent of life is showing up. Just come." Come back week after week, um, and and hope will come back. Hope will be restored when your brain chemistry has you know been rebalanced enough so that the chemicals in the brain that are telling you you know it's hopeless you know are going to basically be you know rebalanced. And see that that's the thing. The bl- the brain plays a trick on you. I, I mean, I really was convinced. Uh, that I was going to die, and, and I get, would get very upset with people when they told me I wasn't. And, and, and you know, that was about the one time where I really do believe I was delusional, not in the psychotic sense of delusional, but in the sense that I was not able to see my life and my future clearly because my vision of my future was distorted by my dysregulated brain uh, and, and as a result, I couldn't really be trusted to know what was best for me or know, you know, that I could get better. So when people are depressed or anxious, it really helps to be around other people who have a more objective view than they do and can see things more clearly because it does really mess up your judgment. Just like when you drink alcohol, you know, 
your judgment is the first thing that goes. That's why people, I guess, get into cars and try driving. You know, nobody, right. no sane person would try that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so yeah, and depression, the, the insidious thing about depression is it robs you of hope. It distorts your, your, your judgment and your vision of yourself in the future and makes you believe things like there is no hope, there is no future, when in fact that's nonsense. Most of all of the important things I've done in my life have occurred after the age of 47, which is when I recovered from this depressive episode. The last 15 years, you know, have been the most fulfilling years of my life. And if I'd ended my life prematurely at that point, you know, I would have lost all that and, and it would have been, you know, a tragedy. And that's why one of my sub-ministries is really to deal with and help people who are suicidal because, unfortunately, every minute someone in America attempts suicide and every 18 minutes someone succeeds. So people don't know that. That is the eighth leading cause of death and that it kills about as many people as breast cancer. And so we, we have a race for the cure for breast cancer here in Portland or a walk for the cure that attracts 40,000 people. But when we have the same walk for suicide prevention, you get about five or 600. I mean, that is just absurd. But that's because of the stigma around suicide, the stigma around mental illness, and, and people um, just don't realize how pervasive it is because people, again, don't want to talk about something that's that's painful or not nice, but it, it really is, you know, suicidal uh, thinking and suicidal actions are a huge problem in this culture, and it's, you know, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Right. One group that uh, I'm very impressed by, and I'm wondering if you are aware of them, or probably you are, but NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness, has a oh, yeah. great I, website I'm, and a lot of support. I, I, there's, there's something called the NAMI Walk here in Portland, Oregon. Well, it's, it's nationwide, so I've been participating, participating in the NAMI Walk. Uh, our team is Phoenix Rising for the last uh, eight years. Yeah, NAMI. N-A-M-I. N-A-M, National Alliance for Mental Illness. Any of your listeners can go to www.nami.org. And you can find a chapter in your city. They do a wonderful job of offering free services to family members who have um, uh, other family members who have mental health disorders, especially children, young people. And they even have groups for people themselves who are suffering. But they have a a really nice educational outreach. And um, how, how did you get familiar with NAMI? Uh, when I was in uh, school getting my master's in addiction counseling uh, and doing some research about churches and, ad- and addiction and recovery issues, I was doing mm-hmm. a lot of web searching and found them on there. Uh, I was creating a list of resources. And it was just incredible. Yeah, yeah they, they do. As I say, they have, the, they have this thing called family to family, uh, this 12-week class and educating people about mental health issues. And they're, they're truly uh, really good advocates. So, yeah, I mean, I mean again, unfortunately um, – they have to. The only funding they get is from drug companies, <laughs> which is which is regrettable because it it, it does, um, you know, some people feel it biases them to you know too much focusing on medication as, as treatment, and it would be nice if they had you know other uh, foundations that help them out. Uh, they might have some other private money, but they, they do, as I say, mostly in the education and advocacy world, they do a great job, and we need to have organizations like NAMI out there, you know, getting the message out that again, mental health. Disorders are treatable. They're normal. Uh, the Surgeon General says one out of every five Americans has a mental health disorder, including an addiction, in any given year. And one half of Americans have had uh, a mental health disorder or an addiction during the course of a lifetime. So one half of the people in this country are present, past, or future survivors of addiction or mental health issues. And yet again, um, we just don't teach people enough about you know how to cope with these 
disorders and how to get help. Uh, and, and as a result, there's just too much unnecessary suffering going on. Douglas, thank you so much. It's time for a, our, our break. You're giving us a lot of hope and a lot of insight into the issue of depression and mental illness and addiction. And certainly, as you've said, they are related in many ways. And uh, appreciate so much uh, what you're sharing with us and sharing with the listeners today and resources uh, that we can all use. We're going to be right back, back Rick, um, and we'll stay with us. Affirm the good that flows within you and stretch to reach your divine potential with daily inspirational messages from Daily Word. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took time for prayer, contemplation, and conversation with God. This example of Jesus struggling to accept the path before him has inspired humanity through the ages. Just as Jesus prepared himself for his final ordeal and ultimate triumph, I prepare myself for challenges with prayer. I affirm the aspects of my personal and spiritual nature that I want to express more fully. At the same time, I am fearless in examining the ways I do not yet apply those qualities in daily life. By staying prayed up, I make wise choices in all that I think, say, and do. Every challenge becomes an opportunity for new growth and transformation, and every blessing becomes a lesson in the power of prayer. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. A one-year subscription to Daily Word Digital Magazine with audio is only $9.95. That's less than three cents a day to start your day right, centered and connected to the truth within you. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. You've been listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're listening with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Gifts from the Dark, and my guest is Douglas Block, M.A. He's an author, a teacher, and a counselor who writes and speaks on the topics of psychology, healing, and spirituality. Douglas has uh, written 10 books. One of them is called Listening to Your Inner Voice, Discover the Truth Within You, and Let It Guide Your Way. Um, He is a person who is a a survivor and a recovering person from the uh, disease of depression, and he has a, a program that he uh, has written about and that he shares with people in his groups and so forth. His website is healingfromdepression.com. And Douglas is sharing some really important information with us about uh, mental illness, about depression, about recovery from that, and about good resources for family members or anybody and how prevalent those uh, situations are and how it's, uh, we can use them for our good. We don't need to run away from them. But we can face whatever there is. You know, Douglas, I know that spirituality is a really important uh, key component of, of your recovery process and of your books, especially I know your book, the one I mentioned, the Listening to Your Inner Voice is just chock full. It is a spiritual book. Right. And you, you had told us a little, we're starting to tell us a little bit earlier in the show about your experience 
uh, at the Living Enrichment Center where you got, uh, you got support from a group of people that really prayed for you. Could you just tell us the, a, a little bit more of that story that night, how they prayed right. with you and things well, shifted yeah. for you? Yeah, it was actually um, it was what we call in New Thought affirmative prayer. Mm-hmm. And so what happened, you know, and uh, I incorporated it into my book, Healing from Depression. I actually told the story, and then I used what happened to me as a starting off point when I, when I, ta- I take on new people in my groups. But um, so uh, here I was in this group I mentioned earlier that, you know, people had gone around and said, you know, we know Douglas from, you know, this point of time, and, and you know, we understand he's going through this really terrible ordeal, and we see him getting better. And the day before, uh, Mary Morsey had given a, a wonderful sermon about uh, Emmett Fox and a book he wrote uh, called The Mental Equivalent. Emmett Fox is a legendary New Thought writer. And basically, uh, in this book, The Mental Equivalent, Emmett had said that, um, you know, before you can basically manifest anything in the world, and this is a central unity principle, you, you first have to create it in the world of thought. All things are created twice, first in the world of thought and then in the world of form. So uh, I said to Mary, and, and I said, I'd like to create you know, a picture or a statement of my mental health recovery in the world of thought. I'd like to create it right down, right now, a vision of what mental health recovery would be like for me. If I were free of these symptoms, if I were living a joyful you know, uh, life um, full of vitality and enthusiasm, you know, how would I feel? What would it look like? What would my thoughts be like, etc.? So I jotted down, uh, just off the top of my head. I'd written a couple books on affirmations, including that listening to your voice. So I was very familiar with affirmative, you know, statements. So I, I wrote a paragraph and handed it to everybody. Or actually, we made a photocopy and handed them around. And I said, "Could you take the, my vision statement, each of the twelve of you, and every day at the same time, we decided it would be nine a.m." Sit down and read this statement, and while you're reading it, see me as embodying the truth of this statement. See me as whole and well. So that was the, the quote-unquote prayer that was used. It was it was a affirmative prayer, and that it was it was holding a vision of wellness for me through this vision statement. And we agreed that we were going to meet in a, in a month and see how this experiment worked. And so people, you know, took the vision statement home and said they would go ahead and do this. Well, I have no idea, you know how many people really did it. They said they were going to. But the third day, this was a Monday we met. It was July 14th, actually. Isn't July 14th tomorrow? That's interesting. No, it's a few days. Today's the 11th. Tomorrow will be the the 14th anniversary of my my quote-unquote sobriety date or my recovery date because three days later on the 17th, which happened to be my wedding anniversary, I woke up in the morning and like the film Groundhog Day, it was was actually now February 3rd instead of February 2nd. you know, there were, things had changed. I, I didn't feel this agitation. I didn't feel a black cloud over me. I didn't feel like I needed to get up and pace and, you know, and, and call the crisis line for help. I actually felt relatively calm and relatively good. So I, I went up to, uh, with a friend that day to the grotto, which is a um, uh, sanctuary here in Portland, a Catholic sanctuary, and beautiful, beautiful grounds with uh, statues of holy figures. We walked around there, and then the next day I took a hike with another friend, and then on Saturday, another hike. And then so on Sunday, I came back to church and talked to Mary and said, something is going on. And he, she said, you know, I was thinking about that group we had on Monday, and that was a God group. And you are being healed at the cellular level. That sounded rather, you know, highfalutin and, uh, you know, 
and almost grandiose, but in fact, she was correct because starting that day, you know, 17th, all through the next month, I felt better and better and better until when we met a month later, I was able to report that I was about 50%, you know, over my symptoms. One month later, I was about 80%, and then within 90 days, my symptoms were basically 100% relieved. The, the depression was gone. The agitation was gone. I didn't have to go to day treatment anymore. I didn't have to have people watching me to make sure I was safe. I could be by myself and focus and concentrate. You know, my energy and enthusiasm were starting to come back. My sense of humor came back, all because of this experience, you know, um, this 90-day experience of people holding this vision of wellness for me. So you can imagine that made a huge impression on me. For and sure. I said, wow, you know, this is, this, this is um, just like they write about in the books and the metaphysical books. And I thought, you know, maybe I can uh, apply this and, and uh, see if it can help other people, which is what happened in, you know, when, in, in the groups I, I run and also in my book, Healing from Depression. But that was definitely a spiritual healing. Now, I wish, you know, that could be reproduced on demand, right? <laughs> Uh, but I don't know if it can uh, exactly in that way. I, you certainly can't guarantee, you know, for everybody that if they just get together with a group of, you know, 12 people and who say a vision statement that they'll get better in, in 30 days. It doesn't work like that with depression and anxiety. You don't have that type of power and control. However, if you do that and you go see a counselor and you go, you know, um, do your own spiritual work and you get some exercise and you do the things I recommend in my book and my program and other people's programs and you do this all together and you want to get better, you know, set the intention to heal and you stay connected with people. We haven't really talked about how important social support and connection is, how isolation and withdrawal is the worst thing that anybody can do for addiction or for mental health issues or depression. That will sabotage and get in the way of the healing process if you isolate. If you reach out and connect, uh, you know, they talk about an AA, the 10,000-pound phone, you know, to call somebody. Uh, th- that is crucial. So if, if you do all these things, the, the support, the intention, and, and the tools, then recovery will happen. Can't say when, can't say how, but it will happen. So it's not a cut-and-dry thing, but it is inevitable. Uh, I think every addict and every person with depression and anxiety can and will recover if they do what they need to do. It's not like cancer where the disease can overwhelm you and despite all your best efforts, you, you, you can die. Or uh, I think that addiction and, and, and mental health issues are, you know, they're not terminal in and of themselves unless you let them be. And easier said than done, of course. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of faith and a lot of perseverance, but it's, it's, it's available for everybody. And that's, you know, that's my main message that, with the willingness, and, and, and you've seen this again in your own addictions journey, right? The people yes. who are willing, they, they can get better. There's, there's how many thousands and millions of stories are there, right? Right, people, right. People overcoming and, 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 and managing to stay sober and, you know, staying sober from depression and staying sober from addiction is a one-day-at-a-time process. You can't ever guarantee you're cured for good because you can always relapse, of course. That's a whole other Part of the journey is the maintenance journey, but it's, it's available for everybody. And, and, and fortunately, you know, the technology, the tools are, are where 70 years ago they weren't available before AA. Uh, they're now available to all of us and who, who suffer from addiction or depression or, or both ends. So, could you tell us news. just briefly what's uh, maybe two of the pra- two or three practices that you do now to to maintain and oh, stay yeah. in recovery? Aerobic exercise. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, getting up. I, I, I still, when I get up in the morning, I, I am not a morning person. When I wake up, I still feel uh, blue and, you know, you know, why bother? And so I, I just, you know, I become a habit. I just get up, you know, stretch, get on my exercise bike or my elliptical and or go out for, a, you know, a mild jog, and I get the blood flowing into my brain and I start to feel like a human being. That's one of them. The second is is, is human connection and contact and 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 not, you know, uh, withdrawing, uh, you know, having regular times where I see people. And, and, and then, of course, uh, we, because we live in the Pacific Northwest, uh, I believe that the natural world is, is a healing force. Um, the ocean, the mountains, the forest, the outdoors, so I, I, especially during the summers um, when it's really quite beautiful here, uh, I, I get out in, in the Columbia Gorge here outside of Portland and, or another natural surrounding. So there's three things right there. And the other, one other thing I'll mention very briefly is having enough structure and routine in my life, um, because uh, you know one of the big one of the big uh, uh, relapse triggers is having too much time on your hands. Because you know what happens, right? Mm-hmm. You start thinking about yourself too much, and you start imploding. And of course, service, which AA talks about, getting you know forgetting yourself and reaching out to other people and 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 focusing on you know, helping others. So there are five things right. right off the top of my head. That's a lot. Do you, just out of curiosity, do you, are you a regular meditator or not? Is that part of it or not? Or you know, I I I, um, I, I just seem to be a, a bit too restless to, to have actually a standard meditation practice. I would say that that getting on my stationary bike, or I would say that exercise becomes a meditation for me, where I'm moving. And of course, my, what am I meditating on? My breath, right? Right. Because when you're doing it high intensity enough, you can <laughs> you're just working on just you know monitoring your breath and your heart rate, and you're not able to really you know uh, talk on the phones. Something I like to do, but uh, uh, but no, when when the exercise is going to to a certain pace, you're just there in the moment, feeling your lungs, you know, watching your breath in the in the present, just really just in the here and now. So I think that anything brings you to the moment is, is a form of meditation. That's fabulous. Douglas, thank you so much for being with us. I uh, appreciate what you've shared and uh, you've given so many gifts to our listeners and um, lots of hope and uh, lots of resources. Thank you for doing what you do. And we're glad you have been with us today. I say to our listeners, join us next week. Our show is The Metaphysics of the 12 Steps. And uh, we're going to be speaking with Mark S., who's a licensed chemical dependency counselor and a dual diagnosis treatment specialist and a student of new thought. And uh, we're going to be looking at, uh, we're the founders of AA, metaphysicians, evangelical Christians, both or neither, and what does it matter? So uh, join us next week for that interesting discussion. Uh, God bless, and know that you're in my thoughts and prayers. And again, thank you so much, Douglas. Many blessings to you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. 
committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach for weekly inspiration on ways to identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, where your purpose is your prosperity. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. As Reverend Felicia Blanco Circe points out in her book, Do Greater Things, there is the potential for joy, wholeness, and expansiveness designed into every moment. And the miracle is when we recognize the constant presence of these qualities all around us. Once we see what is possible, our lives then begin to change. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Have you ever noticed that life is filled with amazing people? People who are passionate about being alive and fully engaged in living on purpose and with intention. Hi, I'm Jamie Sanders, host of Spirituality Today here on Unity Online Radio. Each week, we bring you an hour of inspiration and motivation to empower you to be the best you you can be. Listen in and open up as we present some of the most dynamic teachers, authors, musicians, and celebrities that are living the life extraordinaire. Spirituality Today, every Wednesday afternoon, 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern, where life is good, and so are you. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.